0: This is Christina Previck. A lot of you probably know me already. I have a law firm in New Jersey, and I practice exclusively divorce and family law. My guest is Allison Leslie. She is also a New Jersey divorce lawyer with an office in Morristown. Thanks for joining me, Allison. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So let's get started. I, I start every interview out really the same with the hashtag FemSquire series. And where did you go to college, and what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up?
1: So I went to college at Bucknell University, which is in the heart of Pennsylvania, um, in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, which is known for international paper, big federal prison, and, and Bucknell. So <laughs> it's definitely interesting. I didn't know what I wanted my major to be, but I knew I wanted to be a lawyer okay. uh, when, I was in, when I was in school. Prior to that, I actually, um, I went to Villa Walsh, which is a private Catholic girl's school, in Morristown. And um, that explains a lot of yeah. That does explain a lot, right? So, <laughs> and Tina and I have known each other for years. So, in any event, she knows all the deepest, darkest secrets, I think. I
0: don't know. Um, I do that.
1: <laughs> but, in any event, I went there where uh, I had a class of 40 people, and you really learned a lot about being independent, being fearless, being aggressive. And really, kind of forming your own identity so that when I went to college, a lot of people learn that in college. I feel like I learned that when I was in high school. So, in college, although I didn't know what my major was, I did know I wanted to go to law school. Why? And I didn't know what type of law I wanted to do because I thought that I would do great at trying cases. I loved acting, I loved speaking, and I loved talking in front of a group of people. And so, really, I always thought that i would be really good
0: on my feet in a live situation like that so why didn't why didn't it have to be law why couldn't it have been acting or performing in some other capacity because my parents wouldn't pay for acting and they were really okay fine. there we go all right <laughs> i mean I you know, the my theater theater. could have been on the
1: list too i uh i, I uh <laughs> produced a play when i stayed abroad in oxford i had uh, yeah produced a play that sold out within you know 10 days something like that it was fantastic with the crucible it was actually one of my professional accomplishments that i'm really really proud of but uh and as much as i would like to be a producer you could still do that with a a law degree if you wanted to do that but i just felt
0: that that was more of a good fit for me and did that ever waver once you made that decision yes my first semester of law school
1: (laughs) 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 about about halfway through my first semester in law school, I said, Oh my God, I hate this. I love the people I'm in school with, but I hate, you know, Bucknell was a much different experience, a much different educational experience, as was Oxford. You sat in a class, you had input, everything was very collaborative, whereas in law school, at least your first semester, it's the professor teaching to you you absorbing it. And even when they had the Socratic method, some classes did still have that, they wanted the answer that they wanted. They didn't want you to think and come up with the answer. And it really was just more rote. And I truly was not a
0: big fan of it. So well, I didn't find it to be very collaborative either. I felt like the students were all extremely competitive with each other. Some
1: people were, but I wasn't in that group. I like to describe myself as I'm a back-of-the-class kind of person. There's the the front-of-the-class people, and there's the the back-of-the-class people. And I was a back-of-the-class person. I had the same group of people that I sat with, you know, in almost every class. We went to the library. That was kind of our, you know, we had this very, our our group, right? But we were not the people that answered the questions, that raised our hands. We were the the back-of-the-class people. and I'm actually still friendly with a lot of them too. And they're ironically, a lot of the same people who own their own law firms right now. We didn't go in. Many of us did not go into big law. We really are the ones that are still, you know, the small firm people or the mid sized firm people. So it's, it's kind of ironic with, with some of that stuff.
0: Well, I was going to so, ask you what you meant by the front of the class and the back of the class, because I always say... I always sat on the front. It wasn't because I was some nerd. I wasn't like, oh, pick me. I know the answer. I I sat on the front because I thought that the professor's perception was that if you sat on the front, you weren't trying to avoid being called on, and that they would pick on the people in the back. And I found that to be mostly true. Not in Seedem Hall.
1: They were the ones that raised their hand. Yeah, Okay. People were the one uh, passing notes saying, you got your manuals, right? Is that what we did? Yeah. So yeah, I was unhappy, and I had uh, reached out to one of my professors, Paula Francese, and I said, "I'm I'm gonna quit. I hate it. I can't believe this. This was my life choice. The one thing I always knew was I wanted to go to law school. I can't stand it. I'm leaving." And she said, "Allie, don't quit." She said, "What do you want to do? What makes you happy?" I said, when "I produced this play. I was happy." And she said, I work at CORE TV as a consultant. Let me see if I can get you an internship there, but you have to make a deal with me and you have to stick through your first year. So that's what we did. I uh, interned at CORE TV for about two years there and I loved my time there and it was fantastic. And I learned a ton of stuff. I mean, at that point I was uh, a PA and then an AP at some point too. I mean, it was really fantastic. Met tons of famous people, tons of famous lawyers and you watch trials all day. So. You know, I, I always credit my uh, my evidence skills to watching you know some of the biggest trials at that time. You know, so meeting some of doing? the people. what were you I doing? It, I was uh, I was behind the scenes. I was in the production booth. I was writing scripts. I was reading trials, pulling out writing scripts for the commentators, writing questions for the commentators, um, getting input from them too, um, and. Uh, And doing everything from you know uh, being in the production section to uh,
0: to reviewing the the tapes of the day. So how did I'm sort of curious? How did you end up not pursuing that? How did that not be? How was that not your continued path?
1: So I always you know I always find that I always just feel that I'm a lucky person. I try to be open to whatever advice people wanna to give to me. I try to talk to everybody. And I really believe that everything happens for the right reason. So one of the um, producers at the time was a lawyer. And she said, listen, you have a job here after you graduate, don't quit. She said, how much, you know, how much in debt are you? And at that point I was probably about $20,000 in debt. She goes, wouldn't you rather be $60,000 in debt and have a piece of paper that you can use for anything? And I thought that made a lot of sense. Yeah. Are you still considering quitting for another two years? And then um, and then I debated about whether she also said, if you want to practice, you need to get you you need to get your clerkship. And if you want to clerk, you need to do it right out of law school, because it's much harder to go from the field of television into private practice. And she said, you know, listen, you, you clerk for a year. You don't like it. You give me a call. We'll see what we have for you. And I got a clerkship out of, out of law school.
0: And the rest of it was written. So you were still considering quitting law school even while you were working at Court TV? Yes. Oh, man, I wish the story was different. I wish you had said, yeah, I quit. <laughs> and, and I came on to be, went on to be the superstar at Court TV. Well, Court TV doesn't exist anymore. I liked Court TV. TV. Yeah, a lot of people did. It was
1: fantastic. You would get actually addicted to the trials at the time. But, I mean, I I work with Nancy Grace, Jim Grasso, uh, Ray, uh, Raymond Brown. Who I mean, he was fantastic. And you would see him at law school and whatnot, and you were like, oh, my God, he actually does practice. He's a spectacular lawyer. And look at the commentary. I mean, met Jenny Cochran. I mean, you know, I tremendous, you. tremendous attorneys. Beth
0: Karras, you know, really tremendous attorneys. And I,
1: I was really fortunate for that.
0: I love Nancy Grace. She's always so serious, though. Have you seen them? Have you seen the skits on Saturday Night Live of her? <laughs> Does she really like that in real life?
1: I haven't seen the skits, but I will tell you that she answered whatever question I had
0: to do, she she answered them. Wow. She so is I mean, Oh, maybe you could hook me up. Maybe she could come on here and I could interview her. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Oh God. Okay, so anyway. All right. So I have heard this saying that if you hated law school, you'll love practice and vice versa. Have you found that to be true? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay,
1: so and I and I'll tell everybody I hated law school, but I love the people I was around. I really like you know, I, I sought out good professors. I sought out, you know, Kevin Kelly was at my house, you know, a month ago to do a concert. I mean you know, I, I think you have to make the best of any situation to kind of find the best part of it. You know, I think anybody can kind of go through something as long as
0: you have something to kind of hold on to at that time. Yeah. So yeah. you got through it. Because I think, I don't know, there's not too many people I think say they really love law school. There's a few. But you Some got people. through it. You finished. And I think mm-hmm. the type of people that go to law school, it's just I think in our nature, not to quit, even if you hate it, you're still gonna finish. You might go do something else, but you're gonna finish, right?
1: Well, I think there's nothing wrong too, because I think some people really do make a different career choice. And if
0: they stop it and it's not for them, that's okay too. Yeah. So you did your clerkship, was it for a family judge? I did, I clerked for Judge Schaefer in Morris County.
1: He actually was sick and actually passed away during my clerkship. So I was able to clerk for all the other family judges and got to see their styles while he was out sick. And then when he subsequently passed away, and then I was released from my contract early so I could start my family lodge out first. Oh, wow. And so I went to Vegas had- before then. So I think a
0: trip to Vegas clears anybody's head. So. Yeah. Yeah. What makes you just not want to come back? I'm not sure. <laughs> I haven't <laughs> heard from the people that stayed.
1: But so I- you very quickly, wait, 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 really quickly, though, ironically- yeah talking about this, this Vegas trip. I'm, I'm literally in, ta- in a taxi outside the, the Paris. And all of a sudden, I hear somebody like screaming my name, a friend of mine from law school, a back, back, of, back of the classroom kind of guy, right? He refers me a ton of cases every year. His buddy who was next to him also, you know, we hardly said anything to each other, but we always talk about like that moment in Vegas. when We like ran into each other. Like it's just very funny. Yeah.
0: Well, it's kind of like Facebook now. I have all these friends on Facebook and I, I don't really know a lot of them and I'll see them out somewhere and we'll just, you know, like look at each other, like, you know, knowing glances, but you don't know them. See, I see, I don't friend anybody. I don't know on Facebook. I think I don't think I have that connection with you. I don't friend you on Facebook. Well My rule is if if I wouldn't go to lunch with you, you're not on there. If I couldn't sit through I'm glad I've been on there for some time. Yeah, right. There's like and there's too many people on there. I probably have to do a purge. But uh, so you where what was your first job out of the clerkship? I worked at a boutique
1: family law firm in Essex County, but I really wanted to go back to Morris County. And so I went back to a firm in Morris County and then two years later, I was just not happy. I felt that there was a better way to practice law. You know, partners would come in, you, you know, partners would see the client, they would hand it off to the associate and the client wouldn't see the partner until like a major court part and the associate would be doing all of the work. You would have that constant interaction with them and Either the partner would show up at, you know, the, the big court appearance and the associate wasn't there, and then the client would feel really lost. And yeah. I just didn't think yeah. that was the right way to practice family law. When what we do is such a, a personal approach, and it needs to be personal, like these, these are major decisions that your clients are having. You know, they yeah. need that, hand-holding. Yeah. they need that person that's telling them what to do. They need that expertise, too, of not just that stranger seeing them that hasn't seen them since their initial consult. And when I voiced my, very Jerry Maguire-ish, voiced my, uh, this is how we have to do it.
0: It was met with and go do it. So I did. Good. Well, and what firms were these? Can we talk about that? Now I wouldn't do that. Um, And... (laughs) All right. So Um, look, that's not an unusual story. I mean, and that was not my experience actually at the first law firm. I will, I will be very clear with that. So Um, you had the two firms and then you start, you went out on your own. 28. I went on, went on Uh, my own. uh, Uh, I had,
1: my feeling was no mortgage and no kids. At that point in time, I knew I always wanted to be a partner. I knew these weren't the people I was going to be partners with and that's okay. People make business decisions all the time of who they want to get into business with and who they don't. I'm an only child. And so I've just always been very independent. You know, let me just, just hand it to me. Let me just do it myself. And I still am that way. But that being said, I really felt that I could do it this better way. And that I could do it by individual personalized attention. And that that was the way I wanted to run my firm. Not the way everybody runs their firms. It's the way I was going to run my firm.
0: So did you get the trial work you wanted?
1: I do. Yeah. No, I've tried many cases. (laughs) I've tried many cases. I've settled many cases. I'm always prepared for trial, but I really try to come up with creative solutions for each person's family, each person's um, individual circumstances. Well, I've had numerous cases.
0: Did you want to go into family law? I mean, how did you pick family law? So
1: when I was a kid, every Friday night we would always watch Dallas and Falcon Crest. Okay, and, and, and I love the drama. And so when I was working at a, a firm when I was in college, I, I was actually just answering phones. And one of the attorneys came over to me and was like, hey, do you know how to type? And of course I know how to type. But at that time, there were people who did not know how to type. can you just retype this um, and just put it on a letterhead and, and just give it back to me? It was, it was client's email or client's note, something like that. I'm like, oh my God, he did what? She did what? Oh, this is fantastic. Like you get paid to deal with this. And I loved it. And so that's what attracted me to family law. It really that, was, uh, you can't make up this stuff that we do. You yeah, know, know that, you yeah. can't make it
0: yeah.
1: Do you still you think, think it's know,
0: interesting though?
1: I love it, oh yeah. This coronavirus stuff, I love it. I love that, I was, I was in court of uh, week and a half ago. Now, I was video, videoing, arguing in order to show cause, But we always have novel issues. So the novel issue we had then was, should parenting time be suspended based upon the stay at home order that Governor Murphy has placed in place? What, how does that evolve? What I love about family law is that it really encompasses all other types of law. of the first case I ever worked on was for a famous musician. Um, dealing with the equitable distribution, which is the distribution of copyrights and the revenue from that, and what they had sold and what they hadn't, it was putting in um, the perks that are in a uh, an entertain. In generally, when you when you have a concert, you have a venue, right? There's a whole list of asks that the talent asks for. And the question is, is do we add that into income? Is that a perk that should be um, added into income when we're talking about different things? You know, there's so many different aspects of law that that you can deal with within the realm of family law. Sometimes it's very straightforward and sometimes it's a formula, but more times than not, I really don't I don't think a formula is a good idea because it's so different.
0: Yeah, it has to be evaluated on a case by case basis. But I feel like when I first started out in family law, I was like you, I thought it was exciting. I was tickled by all the stories and, and obviously I like to hear people's stories. That's why I do this. But I did feel like after a while, it, it just started to feel like the same story again and again and again, you know? And I started to feel like I was just part of this dysfunctional sort of play because we see a lot of that. We see people that aren't exactly interested in resolving things in a fair way. They just want what they want. And and they hate their, their ex, right? So they're highly emotional and they're, they want vengeance. I mean, what do you think? Do you see that? Or do you just see that in a completely different light than I do? So
1: I'm at a point in my career where, and unfortunate. I don't have to take every case that walks in my door. So, you know, and I'm generally referral-based, which I think is really, really helpful. Um, so what I do think is that it depends upon the certain client and not I'm not every client's cup of tea. I'm not. So you know, the clients that are super angry, the clients that they just want revenge, I'm not their attorney. Now, the clients who maybe have a, valid reason for what I deem to be valid for why they are super angry, yeah. Or maybe there's a different way to around it. Maybe there's a different way that, um, you know, maybe somebody's really angry because they didn't get the same consideration from their spouse when something major was going on. A lot of times you see that with the post-judgment, you're kind of able to talk them down a little bit more with things that happen after the divorce. You know, that's a little bit bit different. but no, I still am excited. I'm excited when a new client walks in the door. I'm excited to hear their story. Um, we go to Ireland every summer for, uh, yeah. for about a month. And it's fantastic. They have a saying there, uh, do you sing or do you play? And I really do neither. I'm just like you, I'm a storyteller. So I like to hear people's stories so that I can tell their stories back to them. And that to me, I think is really fulfilling. Um, I think it's really fulfilling when you come up with a resolution for their case that's really outside of the box um, that, you know, the law gives us guidance, but then, as you know, anything that we can do with settlement, we really can be as creative as we want, as long as it really suits the party's families, you know, and that, but it also depends on who your adversary is, too, you know.
0: Yeah, and how long have you been practicing law?
1: I graduated in 2001, so... Long enough and short enough. You're gonna make me do math. Not a rising star anymore. I think I'm a young I'm pretty. I'm I'm pretty sure that I'm
0: still 27, maybe 22. I think you are
1: too.
0: I know. I feel that way too. Yeah. I don't. Well, I didn't really get to have a birthday this year because all this coronavirus stuff was happening, so we just skipped it. So we're gonna celebrate afterwards. Yeah, we are. Yeah.
1: I think that means you get to subtract a year.
0: Yeah, I think I do. I think so. I, I don't even want to talk. We can't even talk about it. That's a touchy subject for me. But yeah, I do still feel 27 too. A little smarter, but I don't feel much different. I remember when I was in my 20s, people would say, "You're not going to feel different when you're in your 40s and 50s. You just you It's going to be the same. You're going the, the the years will fly." And you know, of course, I thought they didn't know what they were talking about. But I have found that that is very true. But I digress. So you've been practicing about 20 years. And Mm -hmm. how would you say the practice of law has changed over those years? Do you feel like it has? Oh, it absolutely has. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And especially running my own firm, too. So I opened in 2005. At that time, the Internet wasn't as prevalent. So but I was young. So I was like, oh, I need a website. Oh, look, I need, you know, I need a website. I need a presence and whatnot. And so I was able to find a fantastic digital marketer at that time. And my website was fantastic. Um, I would later, um, you know, he would let me use my images and whatnot for promos and whatnot, which was, which is very helpful. But at the same point in time in 2005, you also had a lot of the same marketing of going out shaking hands meeting people so when i started my firm i literally made a i got business cards which by the way you had to go to the printer to sit down with the graphic designer and friends and then you had to take them up. um and i had red on mine and that was like the premium color oh my gosh you've got color on your business card now everybody's got color Right? But at the yeah. time, nobody had color. Oh my gosh, it's red. That's fantastic. I was like, Yeah, it's red for my hair. See, Alison Leslie, redhead, there you go. Um, and that was my whole thing. Like, all of my marketing had red on it, red was my color, and that's what I did. Um, so when I got my business cards, I contacted a really good friend of mine who at the time was um like a rainmaking um marketer. She was an attorney who didn't want practice, and that's what she taught. And I said, oh, I don't know what to do. What you know, And she goes, just go out and have lunch with people, Dummy. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that makes common no sense. So I made a list of all the solos in my area and I had lunch with them. Every day I went out to lunch and I learned how they practiced law. And I met them and we sat down, and this way they got to know me. Um, and I got a ton of business
0: doing that. Well, and then now say that's, that's how to do it. It mm-hmm. really does just come down to networking.
1: And I think it's more personal, you know, so that we didn't have Facebook then, we didn't have LinkedIn, we didn't do any of that stuff. And at the end of the day, I still do think that the people who genuinely know you are always really the the best resources for business, best resources for business tips and tricks and that kind of stuff. You know, I texted you this week about a question on something, you know? And that's what you do. That's what you
0: do. You reach out to your friends, you remember who your friends are and you, you ask them. And that's the way it should be. But do you think that we we can't really just ignore social media? I mean social media now is everything. We're on Facebook right now. So I don't think you ignore it, but I don't think you forget
1: the people that you know in person.
0: Yeah, I think you have to do I think you have to do both. But it seems like to me, like and you know, I spend a lot of time on marketing and advertising because I actually really enjoy it, but it Very seems good. like it can get really overwhelming. Okay, so I have to network and I have to go to a fence and I have to stay in touch with people and now I have to add This now I have to add all this social media stuff and there's a tremendous learning curve, which I'm still learning how to how to maneuver my way around social media and everybody else is on social media. Right. I mean, we're bombarded all day, especially now because everyone's home and everybody's Mm -hmm. posting and the, the firms and the people that were ignoring social media before now they're using social media. So I don't know about you, but I'm seeing people advertising on social media that never did before because they're online And I couldn't agree with you more.
1: Yeah. So yeah. So when I started my practice, I was really one of the only games in town that was doing that. Um, there was a couple of attorneys, but not a ton. And now everybody is. And yeah. I think yeah. you really, I think you nailed it when you said, I'm still learning it because you constantly have to learn. And that's the whole thing with running your own practice. You constantly have to learn. You constantly have to look to see what else people are doing um, and how people are moving and, and shifting it. I mean, it really is, there is a business to what we do and you can't ever forget that this is a business. It's not just a, pra- it's not just, wouldn't it be nice if you just practice law? Oh, I'll be great, yeah. right? <laughs> What a novel idea! Can I just sit in a desk and, and practice law? Well, no, I run a business
0: well, I, you know you you can though. I mean, you definitely. I, this is a subject I talk about all the time. Is that when you start your own firm, you whether you realize it at the time or not, you've got two jobs now. You're a lawyer and you're a business owner and a manager, and you have to run your business. So, I still have this debates with people sometimes, and I'm going to say they're generally older attorneys that will argue with me that you know you're a lawyer you you have a law firm and and they they just sort of deny that it's a business but it is you you have to make first. money if you're not making money then what are you doing right i mean it, and it's not about being greedy it's about supporting yourself and, and thriving so but i think i'm preaching to the choir you you are but
1: you know i i kind of look at it a different way because we sell our time right that's what we do. We we sell our time with how you bill, with your increments and whatnot. And my time has value. And so, you know, I I have two kids. I have a stepson. I have a husband. So for me, my time is very valuable. And so every year, I block out what do I what do I value in my life this year? What things do I value? Because you value your clients. You value you value your business. You value the uh, the ability and the privilege to practice law but I also value my free time my vacation time my time with my kids
0: um I'm not valuing homeschool I am not valuing homeschool yeah you're like this is why I didn't become a
1: teacher confirmed Now my mother was a teacher actually and she wanted me to become a teacher and uh I took one class of education I'm like, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's there's a reason why she's a teacher and I am
0: not. Um, so when you say that you have to, val- you have to balance it. Um, uh, how do you do that? Because there's only so many hours in a day. So if you're, if, as you say, you're selling your time, because I think you're selling a little more than your time. You're also selling what you can do in that time. Cause that's why you and, you know, the guy down the street who maybe isn't, as good at practicing law as you are, maybe not as creative, maybe not as mindful, maybe doesn't have an emotional IQ that can translate to crafting a creative settlement, right? Because that's all Mm -hmm. part of it. I don't think their time is quite as valuable as your time. So it's not just the time.
1: Nobody's time is as valuable as your time. My time is not as valuable as your time is. No one's is because it should be of value to you. And that should be the most important thing.
0: So how do you balance that? Out? There's only so many hours in a day. So and look, I don't want to make everything about money, but some things are about money, and you have to balance. You know, I I want or need to make a certain amount of money, and that translates to a certain number of hours and. You know, you're, you're also a business owner. So you're, you're doing marketing, you're doing networking, you're doing all the other kinds of things like that. So when you say what's important to me, I, it's a personal question for you. What is, I mean, how would you right. say that you're one of those people that's always at the office and, you know, burning the midnight oil? What's your date? Like? As a matter
1: of, those two different questions, but, um, So, okay, so which question do you want me to ask first? Whichever one you want to answer. Okay, so my typical day when we are not in quarantine is I get up at five, I go to the gym, um, listen to a podcast, and that's my time. Um, Get back home, get ready for the office, make sure the kids are ready, um, drop them off, and then I'm in the office by nine-ish, and I try not to have any appointments that start at ten. Um, work through and then, uh, and then I always try to pick up my kids um, after school from aftercare.
0: Okay, and then, so I, like-
1: and then I, you know, I'll, I'll check emails here and there, but I really, the time the my time in my office is my time in my office or my time in court or my time getting ready for court or a mediation or whatnot, but I really try to have strict boundaries with that, those things.
0: And what staff do you have?
1: So I have a, uh, a full-time secretary, and I have an associate. My associate went to law school with me, so I've known him for years. Um, He's worked with me for about 10 years now. Um, We know each other in and out, we trust each other,
0: we drive each other crazy. Probably like you and John. Yes, definitely he drives me crazy. I'm sure he's listening. Uh, Gabriella,
1: my assistant, I have known her for years. I actually knew her when she worked for a retail job. She was excellent. I thought her family owned the business. She was so good. Um, everything she does, she really takes ownership of and, and
0: she's excellent. So that's awesome. Hiring and hiring and personnel management is not my absolute favorite thing to do at all. How do you feel about that? There There are people that like that. I mean, I don't want to speak for my partner for anyone who doesn't know, but you know, he's one of those people, like he's a social person and he wants to be. He loves to sit at the head of the table and, you know, rally up the troops. And that is just not my thing. It's just, I like doing
1: that. I like doing that. But at the same point in time, there's a reason I've always kept my firm small. Some people say they have to grow. They want to grow. That's not my personality. And that's not the firm that I want. I, I'm a micromanager with certain things and that's just who I am. And I'm happy with who I am. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. No, I think you've got to know what you want, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think I see a lot of companies just focus so heavily on growing and growing and growing. Like we're somehow programmed to think that we're supposed to grow and that that's a good thing and that's productive. And I'm finding out that it's not necessarily. For some people it is. It, it really
1: depends on what your personality is and what you're creative with. But for me, what we have works. Yeah. So where And, do you and I'm people- comfortable with it and I'm happy with it
0: where do you feel
1: this overwhelming need to to grow bigger to grow stronger whatever i want to give the best client experience that i can to my clients and that's my most that's where my focus is
0: so you feel like you're kind you've reached a good place where you can coast is that how you feel no
1: i don't think anybody ever coasts and i don't think anybody should coast i don't i don't think coasting is ever a good idea i think you want to get to a point where you're happy with where you are. And I don't think that ever changes. I think it evolves. I think what makes you happy co- constantly evolves and changes with the times. So I, I would never call something like that coasting because I think it's almost a static point. Um, and I don't think you're ever at a static point or you shouldn't be at a static point when you're comfortable. I don't think, I don't think you grow as a person, but I don't think you can constantly be growing in every aspect. Yeah. A friend of mine mine always said that her dad gave her great advice that you can be anything you want to be in life, but you can't be everything. And so when you're growing in one aspect, you're not going to be able to grow in
0: all of your aspects. So I think that's really where you need to look. That is. Well, I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves, men and women, to be everything and be perfect at everything. So tell me, what is your vision for yourself, for your firm, for your personal life, I mean you're still a young lady, right? Because you're around my age, so you're a young lady. <laughs> but uh, I mean you still got a lot of years ahead of you. So what, what are your goals? What what do you want for yourself? I
1: think I just want to be happy. What does I know that, that sounds like? silly. I don't know. Right now it's me talking to you over this this podcast. Aw, thank it's, you. It's it is. Um you know, I, I think, I think everybody deserves to be happy. And I, I think, as I said to you before, it's really something that's always evolving. What might make you happy now might not 15 years from now. You know, I want to be able to keep practicing. I love practicing. I love being a lawyer. Um, I know some people aren't, but I, I love it. I absolutely right. I absolutely love it. I have this same. I feel that I have the same enthusiasm from the moment I, I opened my office doors. The moment you put on your first you you put your name on the on the record. I love
0: it. Um, that's great. because I don't want point. to change. There there's people and not just lawyers, but all kinds of jobs and professions that aren't happy. And exactly like life's too short, life's too short to happy. be miserable.
1: And that's exactly how I feel, too. If you're not happy, change it, change. Yeah. it. Yeah, that's great. You know, or I, see what will make you happy. Great role model for your kids. <laughs> do they, well, they do do- me yelling a lot too so they're not going to tell you but always <laughs> happy so you're just you're just catching me at a moment where my husband's got them outside so. oh good
0: good yeah well we've been on here for a little while we're going to wrap it up soon i do end every interview with a series of questions my list seems <laughs> growing. okay um so what's the best advice that you ever got like personal or business um What's something that kind of resurfaces for you often? There's
1: a couple of them.
0: One is one is be nice to everybody.
1: And I haven't always followed that. You know, you you catch something on a wrong day. Yeah, something's going to come off of somebody's mouth and and it's certainly come out of my mouth. And I'm sure I made awful first impressions to different people or whatnot. And they just catch you at the wrong moment or whatnot. Um, But I try to be nice to everybody um, or everybody that you meet. Um, the biggest one that I have is uh, if somebody offers you a breath mint, take it because you don't know <laughs> if they're trying to be nice and you need it. Well, I usually say, "Do I need one?" <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, to offered to me that often, but uh, but I I'm gonna... <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, that's useful. It's actually from law school. from, Nineveh, from Nineveh. <laughs>
0: I do want to ask you what's the best business advice you ever got be nice to everybody yeah it's really true it sounds so basic but and i definitely don't follow that all the time i'll feel i'll feel guilty later like "Mm, i could have been a little kinder to that person but we are human right i mean we're not gonna we have have those moments
1: and then you have to hope that somebody at least has the grace in their moment to say you know i think they were just having a bad day
0: yeah yeah, and you know, one thing I've learned it's it's rarely about you. If someone is mean to you or rude or whatever, it's it really isn't about you. I think we internalize that, like I did something, they don't like me. Mm-hmm. We make it always about ourselves, and it's usually not. Okay, we're, so, we're
1: lawyers. We like to hear ourselves talk. We yes, have,
0: we, we really have a high opinion of ourselves.
1: Like, yes, I would say to me, like nobody likes the sound of my voice more than I do. So. <laughs>
0: well, well, this is the perfect forum for you then because this is your interview. (laughs) So I think I know the answer to this, but if you won $100 million in the lottery and you didn't have to work, you know, you don't have to worry about running a business. You don't have to worry about how much money you're making. What would you do or change? What What do you think my answer would be? Well, I mean, if you're really as happy as you say you are, then you would keep doing what you're doing.
1: I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah, awesome. You probably to- every joke about it in my office because when we, you know, a couple times like we will buy, you know, lottery tickets and whatnot. Um, you know, office wide. I share space with another another law firm. Yeah, and so and I, I've been there. I've commitment issues, so I've been there on a the month-to-month for the past fourteen years. But in any event, uh. Yeah. So whenever we buy tickets, I was like, we'll still
0: see you tomorrow. Here you go. Here's the tickets. See you tomorrow. I'll see you tomorrow. Oh, God. That reminds me of some uh, TV show, Reno 911, where they all thought they won the lottery. And they came to work the next day, like totally telling each other off, like every nasty thing they ever thought about each other. And then they realized that they didn't win. (laughs) I'll have to find that and post it. It's really funny. That's okay. one of those moments. That's one of those moments where you're like, oh where you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have told you that. So if you were writing life's instruction manual, what rule would you have in it? Like what would be the and I know, be nice.
1: Okay. No, no, no. That that
0: actually wouldn't be it. Because you know, a lot of people kind of a lot of people
1: do mistake kindness for weakness.
0: Yeah. And I would say it's very
1: telling. But it would actually be um you know, Shakespeare's to thine own self be true. Sister Marion used to say that to us in in English class. And I I 100% do that. Because at the end of the day, you're the person you have to live with. So if you if there's a decision or something that comes out of your mouth or something else that you can't live with, that's going to bother you, it's going to eat
0: away at you,
1: then you don't make you
0: don't do that action. Well, I mean, what kind of impact because I didn't go to private school, what what impact did those nuns make on you? They seemed scary, from what I've heard. They are, They're the nuns, tough
1: women. So the nuns who taught me are truly the smartest, most intelligent, disciplined, tremendous integrity of role models that I've ever met, truly. I mean, my, my mother actually uh, really shaped me a lot too and she's, she's always been my role model. She uh, went back, she was a teacher, and went back to work when I, when I was in grammar school. My father had had a catastrophic stroke when I was in high school, and, you know, she continued to work as a teacher. She went back, she got her master's degree, got uh, doctoral credits, and really showed me that having an education really makes you need to have that, but nuns at the same point in time, and, and during this time, You know, as you're a teenager and as you're you're looking for structure and looking for role models, these are women who at that time, you know, during the time of the the 50s and the 60s, you know, it's it's a a time where a lot of people didn't go to college. And these are women who, you know, uh, becoming a becoming a sister in a religious organization was an honor. It was a way to, it was a profession. It was a real, it's, it was a real legitimate profession. And they really showed you the type of um, integrity and dignity that you need to have. They also were so fantastic because a lot of them were, um, and I'm not, I'm not really a big religion person, notwithstanding the fact that I do teach CCD um, to my kids' class, but it's really to make sure that I get them there to CCD. So if I have. I won't tell anybody. It doesn't matter. But um, and it is Good Friday. so
0: That's anyway. right. It's
1: Good Friday. You know, but it, I mean, I'll criticize the Pope here. One of the biggest things that, one of the biggest issues I ever have with him is how he, he criticizes um, American sisters, American nuns. And but frankly, if he listened to them more often, I think he would probably make better decisions. Um, and how he says that they can't, you know, rise to become a Pope, which I think is nonsense. But, um, but no, like, um. They're just extraordinary, extraordinary, well-educated women who chose this as a profession, who really look towards their students as their own children and who they wanted to raise and put into um, uh, just tremendous amounts of self-worth. So, for example, when I started my law firm, so many people told me I couldn't do it. And I knew I could because I believed in myself because my education told me I could. You know, there, there was never any doubt that I couldn't do this, that I couldn't make a success out of it. And, and I completely frame that with the foundation that I was given in high school and given in high school by these women who simply believed that you could do whatever you wanted to do as long as you worked hard enough, you
0: studied hard enough, and you put the time and your
1: energy into it, so.
0: So you didn't feel like your experience, because this is what I hear a lot from people in who go to Catholic school, that it's so restrictive that, you know, that's the joke is that when the girls leave Catholic school and they go to college, they kind of run wild, right? Like, isn't that the joke? And I won't ask you that question, Allison. I'll ask you that question. I think you know
1: me long enough.
0: (laughs) But that's sort of my perception. But again, not having gone, I don't know what it was really like. But it doesn't sound like you had that experience. It doesn't sound like it was you felt it was restrictive.
1: Um, so for example, like you have to wear a uniform, right? So yeah. we had to wear plaid skirts and we had to wear these, uh, these white shirts. And when you think about what does Mark Zuckerberg every day, he wears a uniform. Steve Jobs wears the uniform. So are they that far off in making teenage girls not compare what outfits they're wearing and not compare what they're doing so that they can focus on their studies. You know, there's certain things like that. Yes, it's restrictive because I wear a uniform. I want to wear a uniform. Um, I'd, I'd wear a uniform. I'd wear a uniform now if I could, quite frankly, so it's less uh, choices that I have to make. I've put on three different outfits so I can figure out what to hear, do here. You can. Yeah. You can wear a
0: uniform. So
1: I pretty much do. I, I would do the uniform any day. But, you know, there are certain rules and there are certain restrictions. Then, you know, at the end of the day, you decide what works for you. You, you asked me what my schedule is. I like, gave you my schedule. For some people, they don't do that, and that works for them. But I think you pick yeah. and choose and see yeah. and determine what it was.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't, I, those nuns, man, they're, they're tough. There's they're, they're something when I see a nun, I, I feel intimidated. Like if, if I'm out somewhere and I see a nun, I'm, I'm immediately like, I don't even know why. I'm in, intimidated by them. They, there are some strong women. They are remarkably strong and encourage you to do that. But I'll tell you
1: this, there isn't a single judge that I'm afraid of that I wasn't more afraid of than uh,
0: Sister Doris and Sister Marion. So. Did, <laughs> they, did they paddle you? Did they do like, oh God, I went to school in Georgia and they paddled. If, this sounds so crazy, doesn't it? I got paddled. I got, I, the class. And I, I got hugged. I got hugged. I got hugged. Um, oh, I, a hug if you're
1: having a bad day, come here, let me give you a hug. Uh, you're going to get through this. Let me give you a hug. I know it's really hard. Let me give you a hug. Now go back and study harder. I will say this was in
0: Georgia where I got paddled. <laughs> so that might explain a lot. <laughs> All right. Um, I think I know the answer, but what person do you most admire and why? I don't know. You know, there's so many people. There's so very
1: many people, um, my mother, um, my husband, um, so, so many people, quite frankly, uh, you know, it really depends on that time and what you're talking about and where you are. There, there are certain people, I mean, you know, they, they rise up from places and, and in places where they're, where they're disadvantaged and they, you know, they pick themselves up, they dust themselves off so many times my clients they come out of a bad situation, they do it. You know, this week, a friend of mine from law school who picked up the phone to call me when I needed his help for something. I mean, it, it, all so many different things.
0: Yeah, I I kind of went through a phase where I felt like there weren't many people to admire anymore, but I don't think that's true. I think I think, you I think to have to look for, you find?
1: You have to look for them.
0: Yeah, sometimes yeah. it's not that obvious. Yeah, there's there's kindness in everyone, I think. So. So what would you tell your 20-year-old self? Everything happens for a reason. You just might not see it at this moment.
1: Yeah, that's true. Just right. wait and see, and you'll see it. But everything happens for a reason.
0: It does. All right, last question. Okay. So when you're that's a little old lady, hard. I like it too. I should just start out with these. So <laughs> I, I do a Proust questionnaire sometimes. Do you know what that is? No. This is kind of like a Proust questionnaire. You like the philosopher? Yeah. So I what? I didn't exactly know what that was. If you read Vanity Fair magazine at the last page, they have a proof okay. questionnaire. And they just ask a series of short questions of a celebrity, and they're very short. They're like, what's your what do you think are the is the greatest depth of misery? And the whole idea of it is to learn something about that person's character. Mm-hmm. and they're really interesting i love doing them maybe you should start doing those on here but this is a good one with
1: all my spare time
0: what's that with all my spare time yes all your spare time and we all have well some people might smack me if if i say that because the people that are homeschooling i don't know how much spare time they have but if, when you're a little old lady well, first of all, you're gonna have red hair or gray hair when you're a little older. Okay? I will
1: always have red hair.
0: Okay, okay. So I'm Absolutely. envisioning you know,
1: My grandmother had was rocking
0: the uh, purple and the blue before Lady Gaga was. so wow. I, you know, blue. Awesome. Okay, so I'm envisioning you with your red, flaming red hair when you're like 95. You're looking back on your life. Like, what, what, do, what do you see? Like, what are you know the big accomplishments? That you're looking back on fondly. Oh, that's so hard. Um Cause some of them might not have happened yet. I mean, I hope that some of them haven't happened yet, because you got you got a ways to go. You know, I really I
1: I think probably opening my own practice, quite frankly, because even at that time, I yeah, I was dating my husband at that time and I remember him saying to me, like, I wish we I wish you had a daughter right now so that you she could she can see how proud I am of you. And I think that's definitely going to be one of it. I think it's also going to be resilience to anything. And um, I would hope it would be to being supportive to, you know, my, my friends and my mom squad and that type of thing. You know, I don't know. That's really difficult. I think we're going to have to wait and see. I think you're going to have to check in with me in another couple of years and see where we are for that.
0: I think we'll still be going to roots for happy hour when we're 95 that's that totally works for me I, <laughs> but i mean i it sounds so morbid and i hopefully it doesn't come across as debbie downer but i yes. do think to myself times sometimes just to keep things in perspective and try to focus on bigger things and not trivial things because i think we all do that i'll think you know what if i was on my deathbed right now what would I really be thinking about? Like, would I be worried that ugh, I didn't get my newsletter done? My newsletter is supposed to go out every Saturday, and I didn't do it. And or, you know, I could have finished some some work that I was supposed to do, and I didn't do that. And I guess I'll do it next week now. And we kind of get down on ourselves over that stuff, but that's just not the stuff that you're going to be thinking about when you're on your deathbed. I, I think you're really going to think more about relationships that you had.
1: I try to check in and say, is this going to matter in a year?
0: Is this going to matter in
1: five? And that's how, that is how I look at different things and look at different opportunities is what is the impact of this happening right now is, you know? Yeah.
0: I think that's the thing that I've gotten out of this coronavirus experience being at home because I, just kind of went on autopilot and I would get up early in the morning. I just work all day long and I would find myself just working all day long until basically it was time to go to bed. And that lasted about a week because I could not sustain that. And then I was thinking to myself, well, what am I really doing all day? Do I really have to do all the things I'm doing all day? And when you look at it, you don't. Like, is what it going to matter if I put. Long? What's that? There's there's power in saying no. Yeah. Oh yeah. No is a complete sentence. No is a complete yeah. sentence. Yeah. Well, there's plenty more to talk about, Allison. But we've been on here for an hour and seven minutes. Wow. You can talk, Allison. <laughs> I'm Irish. I can't help it. <laughs> anyway, this was good. Thank you so much for coming on. I hope that uh, some people learned a few things about you. I did. And thank you.
1: I'd, I'd love to have you on again sometime. I
0: appreciate it. Yeah, of course. I'd love to have you on again sometime. I like to do roundtable discussions and you know, find topics to talk about. So, If anybody has any ideas or suggestions, I'm happy to hear them and let's get a bunch of us Fem Squires on here and have a conversation. Next time, wine though. Maybe we could do it at night sometime and we have some wine. All right. Sounds well, like a have a great day and thank you for watching Wake Up Call Live. Thanks a lot, Christina. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Wake Up Call, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to know more about me, you can find out more on my website, ChristinaPrevitt.com, and be sure to sign up for my newsletter where I talk about everything that I'm reading, learning, listening to, doing, basically everything that I'm obsessed with right now. Follow me on social media. Look up Wake Up Call the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you'd like to be a guest on Wake Up Call or there's someone you'd like to hear on my podcast, please email me at wakeupcallthepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you and see you next time.